The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are of everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunder of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. That's Psalm 93, which along with Psalm 98 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, April the 18th, 2022. I hope you had a wonderful Easter uh, yesterday. I hope that it was filled with celebration of the goodness of God and the resurrection of His Son. Uh, You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, your host. Thanks for being along today. We're going to, today, it's going to be kind of a mishmash of lessons for the next few days. Um, Just that's the way it is the week after Easter. And so today, for instance, we've got Jonah 2, 1 to 9. Um, Then the gospel today will be uh, John 14, the first 14 verses of that uh, chapter. And then uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 2. 2 verse 14 and then verses 22 to 32 (coughs) excuse me so as we go back into the Jonah passage today it's it's Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish (coughs) and he says I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went dead down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's not a lot to comment on in that. What he's, it, all he's saying is, is that that. I made a mistake, I, I, I sinned, and you cast me into the deep. He, he's only halfway admitting that there's sin involved in any of this, though. And, and then he, he makes some theological statements after he makes the, the statements of where he is. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and then I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. He's, he's believing Jonah is, that the Lord will rescue him from this. He believes, like Job does, that ultimately his Redeemer lives. And so he believes that the Lord will bring justice. The Lord will bring him up out of this. And then he speaks about all the... Um, the he uses a lot of metaphors for how he has gone down into the sea and all this. And then, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And then he makes this odd uh, theological statement, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I will do what, what, I, what you told me to do. Uh, why he takes a shot at those who uh, 
regard, pay regard to vain idols, I have no earthly idea because he, he's the one who's run from the Lord. But he proclaims the right things and, and proclaims that he'll do what he has vowed to do, and therefore salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's that point that he is spit out of the fish onto the dry land and, and on his way to Nineveh to give the the prophecy that yet 40 days Nineveh will be overturned. And then he doesn't say, unless you repent. Uh, nonetheless, that was their reaction to his proclamation that day. <clears throat> so the Jonah knows ultimately that it's possible for the Lord to do anything, even deliver him from the belly of the fish. And he's got reasons to believe that. <laughs> First, because of the storm at sea that ends up with him being thrown overboard um, because he was running from the Lord. Second, he knows that because, well, the Lord prepared a fish. Third, he knows that because he's been in the belly of this fish for several days and hasn't died yet. So his hope is not gone. So he calls out to the Lord and proclaims the truth, and that is that salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord causes the fish to spit him up onto the dry land. The point is there's never a hopeless situation with God, that that no matter how dire your situation might seem and feel to you, it it's not to him. He is able to deliver you from whatever situation that you're in. In the gospel today, this is um, Jesus speaking to the disciples at the um, at the final Passover feast that, that he uh, celebrated with them. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There's the big ask, right? I mean, it's easy to believe in God and then believe also in me. Well, I've always been taught, right, from, from the get-go in Judaism and in, uh, e- even in Christianity, don't put your trust in man. It makes no sense, no, no logical sense at all to put your trust in other human beings because they could die tomorrow. They could change their mind about you tomorrow. There's all kinds of things that could go wrong with putting your trust in other human beings. And that's exactly what Jesus is asking them to do. That's the big ask. Um, They see him as a human being. They see him as the Messiah, the one who is to come. But they, they don't, however, understand that he is also God. They know that he does the things the Father does. They know that he does things that nobody else can do. But to say at this point in time that they believe that he was God and therefore was eternal would would have been ridiculous for anybody in that group to believe that. They believed other things, but they didn't believe anything as, as great as that. But when he says, believe in God, believe also in me, that's what he's saying is put your trust in me. And then goes on with, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And what that imagery is, is bridegroom imagery, because it, there, was a, there was an engagement, a betrothal period is probably a better way to say it. There's a betrothal period, and that's where, like Mary and Joseph, were in that period of being betrothed while he prepared, literally, a place for her. And that's what the groom did. He prepared an extra room on his parents' house. And that's where he and his new bride would would begin married life together. And that's the image Jesus is using here. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself. That's 
where I am, you may be also. Again, that's that's bridal chamber discussion and, and dialogue there that he's talking about. And you know the way to where I'm going. Um, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So if, if I don't know your destination, and then I have no earthly idea what the way to get there is. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the destination is the Father. The way is Jesus. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying, if you want to know the way to the Father, it's, it runs right through me. I am the way. Follow me. Um, it, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's a guy that, that I used to know here that, that would call Jesus his rabbi, based on that statement right there. And, and I, there was something about it that bothered me tremendously, because that's not the right word. It, it's wrong. It's right at some level, but that's not all Jesus is. And, and this guy just constantly referred to him as rabbi, and he would preach very passionately um, about this stuff. And, but there was something that was always off to me. Well, recently, uh, he's gone from here now, and so he had published a blog. And in the blog, what he said was is that, that everybody needs a rabbi. And, and essentially, Jesus happened to be the one that he followed. But he says that this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, it's that he says all paths lead to Jesus, and that's just a lie. But it makes you popular because, well, nobody's offended. And that's the, the, the thing that is supposed to happen here when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through the Father except through me. That, that's intended to be offensive. It's called the scandal of particularity, which means that there's only one way. And it's Jesus, and, and you can't follow some other way and get to Jesus. So when he says this, he's very clear that there are not a million different paths. And Thomas is so convinced. We don't know where you're going. Jesus tells him. And, and then Philip says after that, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Can you imagine how crestfallen Jesus would have been at having one of his disciples say that? Really? Show us the Father? Have you misunderstood everything I've said? Who do you think this father is that I've been talking about? It, it, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? In other words, my whole ministry was, was intended to be the revelation of the father in me. You were supposed to see the father in me, Philip. I did the things that I've done in order to reveal him, that you might know that I and the Father are one. He says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. In other words, he uses me as the vessel to do the things that he wants to do in the world. And you know what? That's what we're intended to be, vessels through which God can operate. <clears throat> the... <clears throat> Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So even if you don't believe me at this moment, then consider the things that I've done and believe on the account of those. That should be enough. Even if you've misunderstood so much, 
look at the works, think about the works, and you'll see what you need to see. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And that's what I was just saying. We're intended to be vessels through which God does his, his work on the earth. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. I'll make greater things possible after the next steps. Whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Now, does that mean that everything we ask Jesus will do? No, but it means that we should be praying about everything. We should take everything to him. And I've seen miracles, absolute miracles, and, and miracles that even people who are non-believers will admit are miracles, like what happened with Will a year ago, and then others that I could name. I've seen things that, that medical science didn't believe was possible. I've seen those things happen. I've seen those things. I've seen situations that were impossible turn around. I've, I've seen incredible things happen in, in many, many people's lives, including my own. And so that's the belief, and the, those are the greater things, and those things are all done by prayer. In the um, epistle, in the reading from Acts today, Peter, uh, this is after the crowd has come on the day of Pentecost, but Peter, standing with the eleven, because remember Judas is gone, lifted up his voice and addressed them, the crowd, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words." Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with might, mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This, the one that, he was here a lot. Y'all know who he is. You know exactly who he is. Because you were here just 50 days ago shouting for him to be crucified. And a week before that, you wanted to make him king. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, all this was done according to, to what God already had planned in advance. None of this came as a surprise to God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, and that would be the Romans, because the, the Romans are the ones who had to, had to carry out the execution. The Jews didn't have the authority or the ability, even though they were in the land, to carry out the death sentences, so they had to appeal to the Romans to do that. And that's why they, they go to Pilate and Herod and all that. He said, this one, you kill by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He, he raised him up. He resurrected him from the dead. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. Same basic statement that Job makes, that, that he knows that his Redeemer lives, and at the end, he'll stand on the earth, and in my eyes I will see God. And, and so he believes this same thing. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And so what David's saying is the Lord was always before him, period, end of sentence, always before him. And the Holy One will not see corruption. So he couldn't be held in the grave, couldn't be held in Sheol in the same way that he could have prayed, Jesus could have, the, the prayer that we read in Jonah today, that, that the salvation belongs to the Lord, but he did indeed die. 
and that's an important fact to remember, is, is that Jesus wasn't just crucified on the cross. He was dead and buried. And on the third day, God rose him up again. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. So he's not talking about himself when he says your holy one will not see corruption. So that's Peter saying that's not who David was talking about. David was not speaking of himself when he wrote these words. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Corruption would have begun on the fourth day, by the way. That's the whole thing with Lazarus, that, that that's the reason Jesus waits with Lazarus until he does, because the flesh would have seen corruption at that point, because the soul would have abandoned it. And so the, the body would have been corrupting at that point. So Lazarus, that's the reason that, that Martha says, by now he stinketh. So with Lazarus, corruption would have set in, because he's subject to death again even after Jesus raises him from the dead. With Jesus, that's not true. So his flesh never sees corruption. So he never, he, he, moves, he never becomes really most sincerely dead in the ways that, that Jews thought about death because he didn't pass into that phase of corruption after death, but he died. So finally, he says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We saw it. We saw him. We talked to him. We know for a fact that he was indeed raised from the dead, and we're all going to bear witness to the same things. We, we all know this is true. And, and that's the important thing, and it's the important thing that all of us need to remember. We need to remember in our own lives that salvation belongs to the Lord and that no situation is too desperate for him. Witness Lazarus, whose flesh saw corruption, and then Jesus called him back from the dead. But the only way to do this, the only way to achieve this, to get eternal life, is to put your faith and your trust wholly in the only one whom God resurrected from the dead, the one who says, I am one with the Father, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Put your entire trust in him. Don't let anything else make a claim to you for faith.